We're, we're talking about the intentionality of our, of our lives and, and wanting to live life intentionally for God. We're not trying to go through any kinds of motions and just be passive with our faith. Instead, intentionally using what we have been intentionally given for the glory of God. And so last week, while I was gone, Sean White, our, our family minister, reminded us that living purposefully is not about becoming better at our Christianity. It's not about getting better at Christianity, but it's about drawing near to the divine. And so he walked us through Jesus' model prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, as we oftentimes refer to it, to help us recenter on the intentionality of living a kingdom life. It was the idea that we're going to focus on purpose and not on product. This idea of purposeful nearness to God. And Sean, i got to admit that as I, as I listened, as I listened uh, this, this week or this past week to, to this lesson, I could not help but go back and think about when I was in high school, specifically when I, when I played football. Now look, don't worry, I'm not going to regale you with stories of my gridiron exploits. Now, you can see up there, we were a mean-looking crew. So mean, we won almost half of our games. That's how mean, that's how mean we were. But I, I did not have a lot of football exploits. I never got my picture in the paper. No one ever tweeted about me. Now, granted, there was no such thing as Twitter, but if there had been, no one was tweeting about me. And my only football award was for having the highest GPA on the football team, okay? I had the highest grade point average. And so I was recognized. Golden Helmet Award. Yeah, I think my mom still has that up on the, um, up on the wall somewhere. Uh, but, but look, when everyone, when, whenever anyone starts to talk about the Lord's Prayer, my mind always goes back to high school, to the football locker room. Because it's Friday night. And we've just come into the locker room after going through our, our pregame warm-ups. Beastie Boys, No Sleep Till Brooklyn is, is playing on the, on, on the boom box that's there right in the corner. Each player is going through their pregame ritual. The adrenaline is really starting to flow. The coaches are coming in and they're reminding us of some last-minute details, something about how that we need to hit the player across from us in the mouth and put our foot on their neck and step on them like, you know, with a hobnail boot, that kind of thing. And, and then as their voices are rising up into crescendo about how we must totally dominate the night's opponent, and right before the captains are called out to go for the coin toss, we all gather in the middle of the locker room floor. We go to one knee. Our helmets are off. Our heads are bowed so that we can all say together, and those of you that have played football, say it with me, Our Father, who art in heaven. Yeah, somehow, for some reason... On Friday night, saints and sinners alike all became religious just before kickoff. Growing up, the Lord's Prayer was not something that drew me closer to the divine. It was something that drew me closer to Friday night lights. It was a means to an end. It was a rote recitation of a Sunday school prayer. It was a talisman spoken in robotic cadence by young men whose thoughts were not on worship. <laughs> we weren't thinking about worship. We were thinking about war. And that ritual became so ingrained in me, became so ingrained in me that all these years later, it's just difficult for me to process the purpose behind the prayer. And that's the problem with rituals. Rituals can become so automatic. They become so expected and so known that the meaning actually becomes lost and the act itself becomes what is the objective. 
And so the danger for us, as we talk this year about living on purpose with intentional faith, we run the danger of thinking that all that's needed are just some rituals. All that's needed are just some holy habits. Pray a certain prayer. Read through the Bible. Show up to church. Get baptized. Take communion. And voila! We've done it. We're close to God. But understand, our conversations about living intentionally and and taking our relationship with God seriously and developing an active and and vibrant faith, these conversations are not intended to, to just make us better at Christianity. They're not intended just to make us more religious, where we just go through some motions. The holy habits that I, that I mentioned, they're all good and well. But if those habits do not serve to carry us closer to the divine, then they're merely just empty rituals. And honestly, folks, they're just a waste of our time. Because they're not accomplishing their intent. They're not impacting our heart. Jesus addressed this idea with a group of Jewish religious leaders who who noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now understand, uh, this this hand-washing, it had nothing to do with germs. It had a lot to do with Gentiles. They didn't know about germs back then, but they were very concerned about being clean. To give us a little understanding, Mark includes a little parenthetical background for us. And so he says, the the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. And this is but one of many traditions that they have clung to. You see, you could not be sure who you might have touched or who might have touched you while you were out among the people. So you wash. Not privately, but in full view of others. So, so that others can watch you as you dip. So that, so that others can, can see you as you're rolling up your sleeves and as you are making sure that everyone is in full view of what it is that you are doing. You, well, you don't want to drink anything or eat anything that might have been touched or used in an unholy way. Because you didn't want to ingest anything that would make you unclean or unholy. The, the, the whole focus here, as everybody is watching, the whole focus of this washing is not on physical health. It is on spiritual health. That's what they taught, and that's what they believed. And so the religious teachers, they want to know why the students of the rabbi Jesus don't wash their hands like all the other good religious followers. Why don't you do church like everybody else knows how to do church? what they're saying the charge wasn't so much against the students as it was against the teacher Jesus why aren't you teaching our traditions why are you not concerned Jesus about spiritual health your disciples aren't learning what they need to do your disciples are not acting in a way that shows that they are drawing near to God So why, Jesus? So Jesus replies, you hypocrites. And that's a pretty strong response to a question about washing hands, right? I mean, all all they is like, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Well, you hypocrites. He says Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. 
For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law, and you substitute your own tradition. You see, for Jesus, this wasn't a, a hands question. It was a heart question. And so he then went on to give an example about how these religious teachers used one biblical teaching to nullify another biblical teaching, thereby allowing the people to subvert one command of God to, to honor one's father and mother in order to keep, they said, another command of God. And he told them, look, in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. You see, if, if, if individuals said, what I would normally use to help out my needy parents, I'm going to give this as a devotion to God, as a korban. I'm going to give this as an offering to God. Then the religious leaders said, well, you don't have to help your parents. Now, never mind, they didn't have to actually give that money to God. They didn't have to come drop that in a, in a, in a little basket. All they had to do was say, all this I have is for God. And they didn't have to do anything for their parents. And Jesus says, this is only one example. There are many others. And then Jesus called the crowd to come near. And he says, all of you listen. Try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. So he switches back over. He leaves this idea about what the commands they were violating. He comes back to the washing that had started the whole questions in the first place. And he says, look, it's not about what goes inside of you. It's about what's already inside of you. Later, his disciples would ask him to explain because what he had said went against everything that they had seen and been taught when it came to practicing religion. They had grown up. They had grown up seeing all of these good teachers of religious law. They had grown up probably seeing parents, seeing grandparents, seeing friends, family. They too, at times, have probably gone and they had washed. So Jesus, why are you saying that maybe we don't have to? I... I thought this ritual, I thought this tradition meant that we were close to God. So Jesus says, don't you understand? He says, don't you understand either? Can't you see the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes out into the sewer. And then he added, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within you, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and, and murder and adultery and greed and, and wickedness and deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within you. They are what defile you. For Jesus, it was not a hands issue. It was a heart issue. And he did not want his disciples to confuse outward piety with inner purity. Ritual and tradition in and of themselves are not a barometer of spiritual health. Just because we engage in holy habits doesn't mean we're holy. Just because we pray doesn't mean we're talking with God. Just because we gather with Christ's church doesn't mean that we are followers of that Christ. Just because we were baptized doesn't mean we were changed. And friends, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can get so caught up on the hands, so caught up within our traditions, so caught up with our rituals, that we overlook the heart. 
the rituals, the traditions become so automatic. They become so expected. They become so known that the meaning actually becomes lost. And the act itself becomes the objective. And let's be honest. Our church heritage does ritual well. The churches of Christ, we, we, we do ritual well. Other faith communities, look, they have great rituals also, but, but man, we do ritual and we do tradition well. Take our tradition of communion. Jeremy shared some, some memories that he had from, from communion. Let me share just a couple that I have also. You see, growing up at the church my family attended, there was a wooden communion table that, that sat right here at the bottom of the stage. Wooden communion table that sat there, and carved within that table were the words, This do... You went to my church too, I see. Yeah. And on that table would sit stacks of silver or gold-colored trays. And at some point in time, during the Sunday morning church gatherings, normally about after three prayers. Some of you grew up in heretical churches that did it after the sermon. That was not the way it was supposed to be done. At some point, at some time, during those gatherings, a group of men, all wearing coat and tie, would come and stand behind the table. The man in the middle, known as the presider, would say something about how in Acts 20 and verse 7, we are told how the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread and Wanting to follow in that example, we have come here today to do the same. He would then ask one of the other men who were standing there with him to offer a prayer for the bread. That prayer then being said, the trays containing the unleavened bread or the crackers that were in there would then be passed along among the line of men. They would then reach down and, and break there the bread or the, the cracker and they would, they would eat it there for everybody to see. Then they would begin to make their way through the crowd. They would begin to pass the trays. Those who were in attendance would partake of the cracker that was in the tray. And then they would all return to their place behind the table. A second prayer would be offered for the fruit of the vine. It would be prayed by a different man. The trays then that contained the small thimble cups of grape juice would be shared among the men. They would each take one of those thimble cups. They would drink it in front of the congregation for everyone to see. And then again, they would pass the trays among the audience. Passing and partaking finished, they would return. They would come back to the table and they would have a third prayer. But only after it was said that this was for our offering, which was separate and... See, you did go to my church. And this is how communion went throughout my childhood and my teenage years. Wooden table, men with coat and tie, pray, pass, pause, pray, pass, pause, separate and apart, pray, pass. That's how it went. That was the standing ritual. Until I went to college. And the church I went to served communion from both the front and the back. I and others were concerned about this change. In fact, I heard of one church that almost split before, before things could really get going well with that type of passing and praying and pausing, or praying and passing and pausing. 
And, and, and they almost split because they were unsure if their church could serve communion from the back because the bread and the cup that was coming from the back had not been first sitting on the communion table. And if it hadn't been sitting on the communion table, then it showed that proper respect and reverence was not being given to the communion elements. And so, no problem. We would just stack up all the trays at the front, and we would still have the people at the back, but we would walk the trays from the front all the way to the back, hand it to the people, then they could serve from the back to the front. Once at a church gathering, I witnessed a young man in his 20s. He was the son of the preacher, and he stood up to preside over the Lord's table. His nerves got the best of him that morning, and after he had prayed a prayer thanking God for the bread and how it represented the body of Christ, he then went and picked up the trays that contained the thimble cups of juice, and he began to pass them out to the men who were standing there with them. The men really didn't know what to do, so they took and drank, and then they began to walk and pass those out. Observing what was taking place and witnessing the breach of protocol, the young man's father, again the preacher, stood up. He apologized to the congregation for his son's mistake. He chastised his son there in front of everyone for messing up the communion order, asked all of those communion servers to return to their place behind the wooden table and begin again, prayer and all. Apparently that preacher had failed to read Luke's account of the Last Supper where he shares that Jesus started with the wine. Later there was a church where I was on staff that had someone whose job it was to to scheduled men who would stand behind the communion table. And since they were standing behind the communion table, they were expected, as per our tradition, to wear a coat and tie. One cold winter morning, a gentleman who had been asked to serve communion showed up with a sweater on underneath his coat. The man whose responsibility it was to schedule the communion servers walked up to the man who was wearing the coat and sweater, reached up, pulled down on the neck to see if underneath that sweater was hiding a tie. There was no tie. And even if there had been one, it could not have been seen due to the sweater. But nonetheless, the man was told he could not stand behind the communion table that morning and serve the communion. Friends, we laugh and we shake our heads. And I don't share these stories, these anecdotes to belittle or to malign. This is my heritage. This is my upbringing. This is... These are the places that formed my faith. I share these examples, and, and trust me, there, there are others. I share these as a caution to what can happen when the ritual or the tradition becomes the object of our attention. Communion, the, the sharing of bread and cup, the remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice, and the celebration of our salvation, it is a divine moment, rich with meaning that dwarfs any method. It's about our heart, not about our hands. And no matter how much bread or wine we consume, if our communion experience does not impact our heart, then it is only an empty ritual, void of divine meaning. In church, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your time if if it doesn't impact your heart. See, friends, we don't want 2023 to be the year that you just get better at your Christianity. 
We, we as a church body, as a leadership here, would be doing you a disservice if, if all that we wanted from your life, whether you're our teens or, or whether you're our grandparents who are here in the room, if all we wanted was for you just to get more religious, for you just to do a few more rituals, to involve yourselves in a few more traditions, we would be doing you a disservice if that was our goal. If this year you merely prayed more, or, or read your Bible more, or, or you volunteered more, you came to church more, all of these holy habits, all well and good, but void if they do not impact the heart. See, only if they are used by God to transform the part of the human condition that produces evil thoughts, and sexual immorality, and theft, and murder, and adultery, and greed, and wickedness, and deceit, and lustful desires, and envy, and slander, and, and pride, and, and foolishness. Only if those habits that we engage in are used by God to give us pause in those moments where that, that inner sin begins to well up, and we want to go and, and live for ourselves, and we want to, to just let that, that inner sinfulness out, and, and those cravings, and those desires, and say, I am my own God. Only if only if God uses them those habits to give us pause and to say, not today, not this time. Well, only then are they actually being used for the purpose that they were intended. You see, I hope that we're all going to be more intentional this year. I hope that we're all going to be more intentional this year when it comes to the practice of our faith, of our religion. I want you reading and internalizing Scripture. And I want you to become a prayer warrior. And I want you to prioritize spending time with other followers of Jesus. And I want you to be baptized into Christ. And, and I want for you to prioritize your life to intentionally say that, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to engage in habits and I'm going to engage in traditions I want you to do this and much more. But outward expressions cannot take the place of inner transformation. And some of you have been using ritual and tradition the same way our football team used the Lord's Prayer. Just as a means to an end. It's something you do because it's always been done right before you leave the locker room. And so what do we do when we come here on, on Sundays? We, we sing and we, we pray and we have scripture time and we share communion together. We talk about generosity and giving and, and then we leave the locker room. And I don't know, maybe you think that by saying the right words or, or singing the right songs or serving the right people or supporting the right church, that somehow that makes you clean. That somehow that gives you victory. And yet all the while, your heart remains far from God. Some of you just mouth the words because that's what's expected. There's no thought to what God wants for your life. There's no change to the way you live or love. Friends, don't confuse outward piety with inner purity. Don't, don't wash your hands 
but then refuse to allow God to change your heart. This year, I, I want us to seek purpose over performance. I want us to seek meaning over method. I want us to be intentional in our faith. And, and we can be. And I'm not saying that we need to abandon ritual. And I'm not saying that we need to throw away all of our traditions. But I am saying that we need to allow God to examine our hearts. Because if those rituals and if those traditions are not impacting the worship that we offer to God 24-7, then they are meaningless and void and a waste of your time. Church, be intentional with your faith. Be intentional with your faith because, because when you are, you will enjoy the blessings that come from drawing near to God. And that's why we're here. That's why we pray. That's why we read. That's why we commune. That's, that's why we give. That, that's why we go into acts of silence. That, that's why we enjoy times of, of fasting. That's why, we, that's why we experience moments of grand celebration. So a change can be made within us. And so we can draw close to God. Why don't we spend some time doing that this morning? Why don't we spend some time just singing together and draw close to God? We're going to start out with this song, and we're all just going to be sitting here together, okay? We're all just going to be sitting here together. And um, at some time during the song, uh, Wesley's going to ask if, we, if we'll all rise in the presence of God and as we sing. But, but here to begin with, we're just, we're just going to sit. And maybe you just need to look at the words and not even sing them because you need to internalize them. Maybe you need to just to sing out to, the, to, to, to as loud as you can because of how important they are to you. Maybe as we are singing together, you need to go and you need to seek out our prayer room. Maybe you need to seek that out in order to have a conversation with one of our, our shepherds, one of our elders this morning about, about just where you are in your relationship with God. And maybe as we're singing this song together, you need to come before this church body and say, I, I would love be baptized into Christ today because I need to have a heart change. Maybe you just need to, um, to kind of get down, move out from the pew that you're sitting in, and you just need to get down on one knee or two as you bow before God. Maybe you need to raise your hands in praise. Maybe you need to bow your head. Use this time. Use this tradition and be brought near to the divine.